again to Revelation chapter 3. Last week we looked at uh, Christ speaking to the church in Laodicea and all that he had to say to them about how they uh, had forgotten their place, had forgotten that uh, as human beings that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we have nothing to offer God. They had come to a place where they thought that they had gained wealth and status and everything that they needed for life, and they, uh, whether, again, whether they acknowledged that with their words or their actions proved it, uh, what was in their heart was that they had everything that they needed, and God wasn't, uh, uh, God wasn't the source of life for them anymore. They were seeking fulfillment in their own ways. And we're going to go on just to look at uh, uh, the amazing nature of what Christ offered to them in the midst of that. The, 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 uh, I think the offense to God of, of human beings who would say that I can do it on my own, how I can be self-sufficient, but yet Christ's response to that the mercy that God extends to people in the midst of them turning their back on him is, is an amazing thing that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, so Revelation chapter 3, again we're going to start in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those, those whom I love I rebuke, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to be with me, uh, to sit with me on my throne, just as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what is amazing about this is uh, I was in the Dominican a couple weeks ago and and, uh, I went down to lead worship. The, the organization, the missions organization, has uh, different groups come in all through January, and uh, usually every year they have me come down to lead worship for a week. So I went down there to lead worship for the Americans, and my brother actually was able to go down there and do the teaching for the week. And he was talking uh, throughout the week about different aspects of the kingdom of God, and the Bible says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and, the right, and his righteousness, and then everything else that we need for life will be added as we seek first the kingdom. <clears throat> and he was pointing out that, you know, as we study the word kingdom in that, in that context, uh, if we study the original language, we will find that that word kingdom is not talking about a physical location. It's not talking about a place on a map. It's not talking about kingdoms as we know it. You know, when you think of kingdoms in this world, you think of countries with borders and all of those kind of things. And uh, there's, it's very popular in Christianity now that people believe that the kingdom of God will literally be in Israel someday, that it will be a place on the map. Uh, <clears throat> but if you study that word in, in the Greek language, you will find that the word kingdom, when he says, seek first the kingdom, it is re- referring to the authority of the king over your life. 
That when we are seeking the kingdom of God, we are seeking the ruling authority of our king over us. So we're not seeking a physical place. We know that uh, when Jesus was asked about when the kingdom would come or where it would be, he said, uh, the kingdom doesn't come with observation. Nobody says here it is or there it is. The kingdom is within you. The kingdom of God was never meant to be a physical place on the map. Uh, But the kingdom of God was meant to be God's ruling authority from heaven over his people uh, on earth. And then the kingdom affects the world through his people who are carrying around the ruling authority of God within their hearts uh, everywhere that they go in the world. And we'll we'll get into that. And at some point along the way, very soon, we're going to go through talking about the kingdom of God. And we'll deal with more of that today. But what, what amazed me is the one day we were out in... Uh, um, the one village. So, so there's a, a group of Americans that uh, do training for pastors down there, and uh, we were able to go out and spend some time with that group of Dominican pastors. There was probably about 18 of them that day, and my brother was talking to them about the kingdom, and uh, you know, I couldn't help but think in that moment, you know, our concept of of a, a king or somebody in authority in this world is you have all these people, even just starting in our country, thinking about the politicians. Uh, again, regardless of your party, we have people that are in Washington making decisions on our behalf that most of us will never be able to speak to. They're never going to hear anything we have to say. They're not going to. I mean, you can send letters to them and things, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, but for the most part, we're not ever going to have a conversation with uh, a senator or the president. Or you go to places where there actually are kings. It's very unlikely that many people are actually going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with the king. I was thinking that of that in those situations, especially out in, uh, you know, we drove out to this place that they were meeting. Uh, We drove probably 35 minutes out through sugarcane fields to get to this village where where they were meeting. And uh, if you have ever done anything like that you're on these roads that are full of potholes and ruts and uh uh it's it's a trip that if it was in america it would take you probably 15 minutes because we could go 60 miles an hour but you have to go so slow there that it takes a long time but uh we're out in the middle of nowhere and all of these people who have nothing their church is falling apart i mean they have uh i was i every time i go to a church i look at their sound system because i love sound equipment i don't know why it's just something that I like, but I walked in there and they have a speaker that the front is all ripped off of it, hanging on the wall with, it's, it's tied up to the rafters with ropes. And on the other side, they had a speaker pointing crossways in the room. So it's like if they had one speaker over here pointing that way and then one over there pointing this way. Uh, I don't know why they did that, but for some reason I was just seeing all of these things, the ways that uh, we have things so refined and put together sometimes in the church in America Yet in these circumstances, these people uh, are piecing together whatever they can. But uh, the amazing nature of the king that we serve, that they have access to the king the same way I have access to the king. Just because they don't have anything financially, they they wonder where they're going to get their next meal, they still have access to the king the same way I have access to the king. And it struck me that day how significant it is that we have access. It's not like the kingdoms of the world where we'll we'll probably never speak to the people 
that are making decisions on our behalf. But in the kingdom of God, that we are seeking the ruling authority of the king in our hearts. But this isn't a king who just lays out these principles and says to all the people, you go and do this. I'm never going to have anything to do with you, but you figure out how to do this. That's not how it operates in the kingdom of God. See, the ruling authority of the king in our hearts, it's laid out. His authority comes from the king, but the king comes alongside of us to help us in our Uh, to figure out how to function as a citizen of his kingdom. All of the things that he has laid out have been laid out for our good. The principles of God have been given for our benefit. And he comes alongside of us in the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, enabling us to live then as citizens of his kingdom. Uh, So the first thing that we want to look at today is simply that we serve a king that we can know. In verse 20, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person uh, and they with me. And to think of the significance of Christ who would, uh, as a king, leave his place in heaven to stand at the door of our hearts knocking. This is the king. This is the one who lays out everything. The Bible says everything is under his feet. Everything in creation has been given to him by God. Everything is under him. But yet he, as a king, left his place to stand at the door of our hearts. And he is standing there. He is waiting. He is patient. He is long-suffering, calling out, waiting for the one who would open the door to allow him to come in and have communion. In fellowship with himself. Uh, So we have a king that we can know. The amazing thing also is this applies to everyone. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, whoever would, whoever would hear the voice of God and open the door and allow him to come in, he would have communion with that person. It's not based on finances or status. It's not based on Uh, what we have or don't have in this life, none of that matters. As we've said before, that everyone, when they come to the cross of Christ, is equal. There's nothing that we come to the cross with where I can say that I am higher than this person, that I am elevated beyond someone else. Every single person, when they stand at the foot of the cross, is totally equal in every way. Uh, We are equal in our need uh, for Christ and his work in our hearts. It's not based on anything that we have. He says, if anyone hears my voice, I think this, this uh, speaks to sometimes we have this way of, of uh, uh, we have different systems for categorizing people sometimes. We have ways of elevating some people and believing that some people don't really mean much uh, today. And sad to say, sometimes even in the church, we see some aspects of racism, things like that. I'm not saying everybody by any means. There's a lot of people that none of that matters. Uh, But I've heard of things even recently where people in the church uh, make decisions or say things based on what is called somebody's race. And we'll talk about that in a second. But there is no place whatsoever in God's church for any sort of person of God to look at somebody else and view them based on what they look like and think that they are more or less valuable than somebody else. There is no place for that whatsoever in God's church. 
I don't believe for one second you can make a biblical case that there's more than one race. There's the human race. That's it. There is no, there is no other, there's no different races. We have to, and I understand for most people, that's not something that even registers with them. But sadly, in some places in the church, that's still something that affects some people's hearts, where they still view people as different, more or less valuable than somebody else based on what they look like. There is no place for that whatsoever in God's church. Every single person is equal at the foot of the cross. There is one human race uh, in God's eyes. That is it. He has created mankind. It doesn't matter what color skin they have, what they look like, what they have, what they don't have. None of that matters. They, everyone has the same value in God's eyes, intrinsic worth as a human because of uh, his creation, the way he created us. Anyone that hears my voice, he says, if anyone, it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they have or what they don't have, what they look like or what they don't look like, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and, come in and eat with that person and they with me. Uh, so we have a king that we can know. We have a king that we can walk personally with uh, every single day. No matter what we are dealing with, we have a king that we can know. Now that's significant because a lot of times in the church, I feel like we are missing all that the king has for us because we don't hear his voice and allow him to come in and sit with us, to have fellowship with us. We're not sitting before him waiting to hear his voice, waiting to hear him speaking to us and tell us his direction, tell us, What are the things within my heart that separate me from you? What are the things that I need to know so that I can glorify you? What are the things that I need to know so I can reflect who you are to the world around me? We have to be in his presence to be able to know those things. And Christ is waiting for us to allow him to come in and speak to our hearts, uh, revealing himself to us and what is necessary for our lives to to continue to be refined in order to reflect his glory. We have a king that we can know. The second thing is that we have a king that is above every other king. Again, he says in verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Uh, Again, the nature of our king who has left his place in heaven to stand at the door of your heart. We've talked about this stuff briefly, but I just want to go just a little bit more in depth. Uh, how different this is as opposed to every other religion that you will find in the world. We understand when we come in here on a Sunday morning to worship God and we sing these words of who he is and we hear the word preached and we sit in Sunday school and hear the word taught to us, this is something that is more valuable than anything else you could find in the world. And you see, we would do well to offer our careful thought when we come into this place or when you do devotions at home or whatever it is where you're in a time where you should be meditating on God or worshiping him or thinking of him, we would do well to cultivate a heart where our careful attention is fixed on him because what we are saying, what we are singing, what we are hearing is of more value than anything else you could find in the world because you understand this is drastically different than everything else the world has to offer. When you look at other uh, world religions, you find uh, things like the New Age movement, which is growing rapidly in the day that we live in. It is very, very difficult to kind of nail down what people believe in the New Age movement because people believe a lot of different things. It's very difficult to kind of quantify those things. But in general, the point is that New Age focuses on man, that we're able to reach a level of consciousness 
that allows us to evolve spiritually to the level of a God. There is no ultimate truth. Everything is relative and united, meaning that all world religions point to the same thing. New Age teaches that we are basically good and inherently divine, and ultimately we can create our own reality. So the point of New Age is basically people uh, uh, trying to gain some sort of consciousness where they evolve spiritually into some sort of uh, deity. That's what people actually believe that they can do through these different aspects of the New Age movement. So again, it's about us figuring out a way to know something or to rid ourselves of something so that we can be conscious of something so that we can become something. You see, it's about what I do to become something. Uh, Or we see in Buddhism, heaven or what they would call nirvana is to be rejoined in spirit with God. To attain this, you will follow what is called the Eightfold Path. Through this, you're released from the effects of karma. The eightfold path that they follow is right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So through all of these things, then you reach a level of consciousness where you are released from karma. Again, all of these things is what I do to attain something or to become something. Or we look in Hinduism, it's kind of the same concept. Salvation is reached when the worshiper is freed from the cycle of reincarnation and his spirit becomes one with God. Uh, One becomes free by ridding oneself of bad karma, the effect of evil action or evil intent. This can be done in three ways, through selfless devotion and service of a particular God, through understanding the nature of the universe, or by mastering the actions needed to fully appease the God. So again, myself working to become something or to know something. Or we see in Islam, uh, Muslims believe salvation comes to those who obey uh, Allah sufficiently that good deeds outweigh the bad. Now, so a lot of them will tell you, if you ask them that, they would tell you that it's uh, based on grace in some way. But when it really comes down to it, there are things that are outlined that you have to do in order for, uh, in the end, when you stand before what they would call God, what they would say is Allah, when you stand before him, that he's going to look at your deeds and see that the good outweighs the bad. So it is you working, doing things, performing rituals so that your good things outweigh the bad. It is about what I do so that in the end, God can look on my behavior and say that I have earned something. And you understand how drastically different the Christian message is, the message of Christ The message of Christ is that the king, though he is a judge, though he is just, though he is righteous, all of those things, he stands in that place of authority judging all mankind, but he, as the judge, has left his place in heaven to stand at the door of mankind's heart so that he could enter in and show us how to function, that he through his grace would cleanse our hearts and transform us, enabling us to live up to all that he has called us to live up to. You understand, though, the things that he has called us to live up to are a result of salvation. It is not what leads us to salvation. That's totally opposed to everything that we see in all of the other religions. It's what you do brings you to the place of your salvation, whatever form they would say that takes. But you see, in Christianity, is the king comes to cleanse the hearts, purify the hearts of his people because of what he has done. There is nothing that we could have done to attain that. It is because of the king who has come to know us, to purify us, leading us to good works. The good works that he leads us to are a fulfillment of what he has created us to be. 
So you understand in the first place, all that we were created to be was robbed from us when man chose to rebel against God. The king left his place to overcome that rebellion in the heart of man. And in overcoming the rebellion in the heart of the man, he communes with us, teaching us what it means to live as we were created to live. You see, it's based on, it's, it, there are results to the life of faith. There are good works that come, but those good works don't initiate salvation. You understand why this is so significant, that we understand what Christ has done for us, why, why we should understand that we have a king that we can know, that we have a king that is above every other king, because there is no other king that has that to offer to mankind. Only in Christ will you find that offering of salvation that is given freely by God to mankind to cleanse him and purify our hearts from all unrighteousness, leading us to the life where we are walking as the person we were created to be. We have a king that is above every other king. You see, there's a dramatic difference that we see outlined in the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 4. It says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of all, of us all. See, that is the king that is above every other king. There is no other king that has experienced pain and suffering on behalf of a people that have turned their backs on him. There is no other king that can say that they left their rightful place in heaven to stand in the place of man receiving their punishment. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He willingly took for me and you the punishment that brought us peace. All of our iniquity, everything that we have done was laid on Him for us to experience peace with God. There is no other king ever that has done anything even remotely close to what Christ has done for us. We have a king above every other king. The king seeks you and I today. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 1 says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk with, with, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. It's all who are hunger and thirst, all who have hunger and thirst, those who, who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. All those who truly recognize the condition of their heart, all those who have tried and tried to fulfill and satisfy the desires of their heart and have found that they can't possibly find anything that will do it. All of you who have been striving in that way, he says, come to me and buy and eat what will satisfy you. It says, come to him and be fulfilled. Those who believe that they are rich, in verse uh, verse 2, he says, Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor 
on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Why spend your money on what is not bread and what doesn't satisfy? You see, we have a way, even in Christianity today, where we have all of these things that we hear about God. We have all the blessings that we hear about God, all the things that He has to offer us that we hear about. But we're still out trying to buy all of the things in the world that will never satisfy us. We're still out trying to find a way to fulfill ourselves. We're still out there trying to, to strive to make things happen on our own. We're still striving to try to figure out how to lead a life that will make us happy or feel blessed. He says, That's, you're not going to find it that way. You're not going to find fulfillment that way. You're not going to find blessing or refreshment or renewal. You're not going to find any of those things that way. You see, the only way that we will find the refreshment and renewal and satisfaction and and fulfillment that we are looking for is when we come to Him. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. When we come to Him knowing that He is the only source of satisfaction, knowing that He is the only source of fulfillment, when we come to Him in that way, allow Him to be the one that fills your heart. Stop striving for everything else in life and allow the King to fill you. He's inviting us today, every one of us, into His presence to know Him and to be filled by Him. See, there are many people that are that are striving, as I've said. There are many who are trying to fulfill themselves or, or looking to someone else to fulfill them. There are many people that are looking to fo- for fulfillment in all, of the, all different ways outside of Christ. And then they wonder why they come up empty. They wonder why they never feel that they are full. They wonder why there is never fulfillment in their hearts. There are many who are going through pain and suffering and loss who are spiritually empty. And Christ is standing at the door waiting for us to open the door so that He might come in and fill us. There are some people who suffer because of things that have been imposed on them in life by other people. There are people that have been abused. There are people that have experienced horrific things that most of us can't even imagine. Not because of what they have chosen, but because of what somebody else has done to them. Christ wants to bring healing to the heart that has experienced the tragedy of somebody else's decisions imposing things on them that Satan wants them to deal with the rest of their life. I'm not saying it's an easy road. I'm not saying that you're just going to wake up one day and it's all going to be gone. But Christ wants to take us through a process of healing to fill us with life, refreshment and renewal and fulfillment and peace, and joy, all of those things. You see, we can try to figure out a way to overcome things in other ways, but Christ is the source of all that is necessary to overcome the abuse of other people. There are many people who suffer as a result of decisions that they have made in life. There are many people who have made terrible decisions and they 
deal with the consequences of those decisions. Christ still wants to bring fulfillment to you. Christ still wants to bring refreshment and renewal in the, in the midst of having to walk through the consequences of decisions. You see, the difficult part sometimes when you're in that position is admitting that the consequences that we deal with are the result of the decisions we made. A lot of people, the last thing they ever want to do is admit that I made some terrible decisions and what I am the pain and suffering I'm dealing with now is a result of those decisions. You see, everything that happens isn't because people, people always uh, want to say, you know, well, this was God's will for this to happen. Some things happen because we made terrible decisions. Everything doesn't happen because God wanted to force that on me. Some things happen because I just did something really dumb. But you see, Christ can bring healing. He can bring wisdom to cha- transform the heart that has made foolish decisions and bring us to the right path to walk with him in renewal and refreshment and wisdom to not make any decisions like that anymore. Whatever it is today, Christ is standing and knocking and waiting. He's waiting for his people to open the door. He is waiting because he has blessings for his people. He is waiting for you to open the door so that he can come in and transform hearts. So you have a king today that you can know. You have a king today that is not distant from you. He is not distant from your pain or suffering. He is not distant from uh, when you have marital problems. Whatever you're dealing with today, he will come in and he will sit with you and counsel you as to how to walk through that. He will give us wisdom to walk through life with him and to experience fulfillment with Him. As the worship team comes up, we close today. I want you to consider this morning all that God has for us. I love this. I saw this a couple years ago. Somebody was breaking down Psalm 23 and showing all that God has made available to us in Christ. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. And that's our relationship with Him. I shall not want. That's our supply. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and He brings us rest in that. He leadeth me by still waters. That's refreshment. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For His name's sake. That's purpose. So I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. That's protection. For thou art with me. That's faithfulness. I ride on thy staff. They comfort me. That's a discipline. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security forever. And that's eternity. All that we have available to us in Christ. Relationships, supply, rest, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, testing, protection, faithfulness, discipline, hope, consecration, abundance, blessing, security, and eternity. 
Every single thing that mankind is looking for is available to us in the king who has left his place and is standing at the door of your heart right now knocking. You see, he's, he's, not, he's not knocking just for those who don't know him at all. See, he's calling the people who have never known him, who have never walked in relationship. He's calling those people today. He's knocking at the door of their heart. But you understand, in context of this passage, he's talking to the people who are in the church. He's talking to the people who, who were part of the church and came to the place of thinking that I can do it on, I can do it on my own on my own, that I have wealth, I have everything that I need, and I don't need Christ. That's who he's talking to. He said, you think that you have wealth and have acquired all of these things, but you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There are people all across this world that sit in churches that think that they have something, but they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And the king is standing at the door of our hearts saying that I want to be your supply. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give you guidance. I want to give you blessing, refreshment. I want you to to give you security. I want to give you eternity with me. And he is standing there knocking, waiting to offer that to the people that would give attention to his voice and open the door and allow him to come in and sit with them. God wants to do something new in your heart. Not just today, but from now through eternity. He wants to give you all of those things that we can walk with him and know the king that is above every other king. God, we worship you today. We love you. We thank you that for all that you have offered us in Christ. Lord, you could have offered us more than we could ever imagine. You have offered us greater blessings than we could ever imagine. Father, help us to not miss those things because we are deaf to your call. Help our spiritual ears to be attentive to what your spirit has to say to us. Father, help us to desire your blessings above everything else in this world, that we would never seek fulfillment in any other way, that we would never seek relationship in any other way, that we would never seek uh, any sort of fulfillment in any other way but we would allow you to be the source of all blessing in life. And Father, out of that, then when we encounter the world, when we are in, uh, in the world, when we are in our workplace, when we are with our family, when we are with our friends in everything that we do, that our value wouldn't be based then on those around us or our job or anything like that, but our value would come from our fulfillment in communion with you. And then as we interact with those around us, Father, that they would see your glory reflected through us in ways that we never could have imagined. That our words would have power because they come from knowledge of a relationship with you. That when we speak to somebody about what you have to offer, we don't just say that you have heaven to offer them, but you have a daily communion and relationship with them that is available right now in this moment. Father, we love you today. Be glorified in us. It's your name we pray. Amen.